This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Scripture reading today will be taken from Luke chapter 11, verse 37 to chapter 12, verse 12. I'll give us a moment for us to grab our Bibles, or if you want, you can follow the passage on the screen. Luke chapter 11, reading from verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your means, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walked over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you built tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to beseech him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ears of the in, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the room. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has, the authority, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are, you not, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Uh, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledge me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what they will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is the word of God. We will now have Pastor Andrew uh, here to speak to us God's word. Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we just pray that this morning your Holy Spirit will be guiding us and teaching us the really important truths about who we follow and who we fear. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever met any Christians whose beliefs seem to be so different from yours that it's almost like they are from another planet? You know, it's like you're on Earth and like they're on Mars, right? It all began when a stranger contacted me a couple of months ago. Apparently, she knew a pastor from overseas who recommended me, uh, and she contacted me. And so she contacted me and said that uh, she had two friends who she was really worried about, two Christian friends who she was really worried about because they seemed to be following this really weird teaching. Anyway, so we organized to meet up together one day, and uh, it was a really, really long night. And this uh, couple uh, shared uh, what they believed to me. And honestly, in all my three years of theological college, all my years of uh, 20 years of ministry, all the years of meeting our people, I've never heard any teaching that they shared with me that night. So they believe that there's a strange conspiracy where the Old Testament is corrupted and where people were like blaspheming God unknowingly. They believe that there's a secret name of God buried in the Bible. You, like, you know, you've got to really figure it out. And they also believe that the new promised land was in Africa. So after a while, I asked them about their Christian walk, and they told me that they used to go to fairly normal churches, but then one day, they, they, they followed this Telegram chat, and then the, this Telegram chat introduced them to this teacher who taught them these wonderful things, and now they don't go to their church anymore. So I experienced firsthand the danger in the sense of following the wrong teachers, following the wrong teaching, and how it had led this couple to to be really far, far, far away from God, Jesus, and God's Word. Now, this is very important because in today's passage, fundamentally, it's really a warning about being careful about who you follow, about who you follow. Now, as we've been going through the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 1 to 9, it really was about answering the question of who, who, who was Jesus? And by Luke chapter 9, we realize that Jesus was the Christ, the eternal King, the Son of God, who is God in Himself. After that, geographically, the book then has Jesus turning His face towards Jerusalem. So geographically, He begins to move towards Jerusalem. But at the same time, as He journeys to Jerusalem, He teaches His disciples what it means to follow Him. So geographically, He's going towards Jerusalem, as he's making his way towards Jerusalem, he's teaching people, what does it mean to follow me? So today, the question really is, whom not to follow then? If we follow Jesus, what does it mean in terms of who else that we follow? 
The reason why this passage is here today is because as we've been following the book of Luke so far, there's been a progression, an escalation of hostility and opposition by the religious leaders against Jesus. So Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees and teachers of law, when they saw Jesus forgiving the paralyzed man, they said, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Later on, Luke chapter 5, Jesus is eating the tax collectors and sinners. Again, the Pharisees and teachers of law complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then in Luke chapter 6, Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain field. They were picking heads of grain to eat. And some of the Pharisees complained, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Luke chapter 7, when uh, the Pharisee invited him to his house, the woman who was a sinner, remember she cried tears, she broke the perfume bottle and she wiped Jesus' feet. The other guests who were presumably Pharisees began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And last week, when Jesus drove out the demon, some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So as we come to this part of the narrative, as Jesus makes his way towards old Jerusalem, what happens is he faces strong opposition from the religious leaders, increasingly, exponentially, progressively more hostility, persecution from the religious leaders. And so today, there really are two issues which are on view today. The first one is theological. Who to follow, right? Who brings God to people? Follow Jesus or follow the religious leaders? This would have been a, a very, very important topic for the original hearers, right? The Jews. Would they have to give up? Oops. Would they have to give up following their religious leaders in order to follow Jesus? The second issue was historical or experiential. Fear, right? If you choose to follow this rejected and opposed Jesus, what does it mean in terms of your emotion of fear, in terms of being rejected and opposed by your own Jewish religious leaders? So that's the problem and the issue and the occasion that brings us to today's passage. So, verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, the Pharisee invited him to eat with him. Now, this is bad news, right? Because the last time Jesus went to eat with a Pharisee, the woman who was a sinner came to him, touched him, wiped his feet, cried over him, and there was a big controversy, right? This time, the same thing happens, right? Jesus goes over for a meal, and you know, the last meal ended badly. This meal, Jesus hasn't even eaten yet, right? Not a single drink has passed through his lips. When his lips, not a single morsel has passed through his throat. And already there's a problem. Why? Jesus didn't wash his hands. Now, it's not because, you know, there was a hygiene issue or, you know, they were worried that they were going to catch COVID from Jesus. But it was because ceremonially, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the experts of the law had devised this whole complex of washing that you had to, to do, right? And this was like, in a sense, a ceremonial thing. Uh, it was a ritual thing. It was a uh, religious cleanness issue. Even today, if you go to uh, Israel, what you will see is uh, you will see Orthodox Jews and they're, they're, they're ceremonially washing their hands, right? There's no soap involved, okay? It's not as if you really rub your hands very vigorously. They're just kind of like pouring it on. And so what had happened was the religious leaders 
in uh, Israel had, had developed this idea of ritual cleansing, religious cleaning, ceremonial tradition. This was not found in God's word, the scriptures. This was not commanded by God. This was something that they developed independently on their own to build on top of their own understanding of God's word. And so Jesus uses this occasion to then attack this whole idea of the religious ritual, religious cleansing, ceremonial washing. So the first thing is he addresses the Pharisees. He says to the Pharisee, now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the dish. Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. What Jesus says is, this issue of hand washing, washing the cups, washing the bowls, is really part of this overall prioritization, obsession with outside clean. Clean the cups on the outside. Uh, Make people see that you take your garden herbs and give them 10%. Uh, To take the most public places, important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. So for the Pharisees, being clean on the outside or the perception of being clean outside was very important. But Jesus criticizes them because on the inside they were unclean, right? So outside, yes, you wash your dishes, you wash your bowls, you wash your hands, but inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. Yes, you outside where people can see you, you take your, your herbs and your mint and your rue and you give your 10%, but inside, you neglect justice and the love of God. You're like unmarked graves, Jesus said. Now, this is... Very, very significant. If you remember a few weeks ago, when the expert in the law came to Jesus and says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the scripture say? What does God's word say? And the man said, obey the first commandment. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And here what we see is that, that the Pharisees On the outside, yes, they do all this clean stuff. But inside, they neglect the greatest, the first commandment. They don't even love God. So the Pharisee has a problem, right? On the outside, clean, very clean. But the inside, unclean. Jesus says to them, Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. Now, this would be a huge insult, a huge insult to the Pharisees. Because an unmarked grave is like a, it could be a covered grave or, or it could be an open grave. But, but in the Old Testament, right, a person who touches the grave, a person who touches the bone, the person who touches a dead body will be unclean for seven days. The implication then is the Pharisees see themselves as the most clean people in the whole community. Jesus says you are the most unclean people in the community. You are contaminating people when they come into contact with you, right? You think you're leading people into cleanness, right? You get them to wash your hands, their cups and their bowls, 
But when they come in contact with you, you are making them unclean. In fact, you think you're leading people to God, but actually by making them unclean, you're cutting people off from God. And he says to them, woe are you, right? Woe are you. Woe to you because your uncleanness, your inside unclean, actually leads you to hell. Now, this is a very, very important lesson for us today. All religion, to some extent, is just concerned with making you clean on the outside. That's what it is, isn't it? A lot of religion is just rules and regulations to make you clean on the outside. So I have a relative of mine who spends many, many you know, months of the year overseas on religious retreats, spiritual pilgrimages, religious rituals like fasting, abstaining from certain foods, doing lots of meditation, doing good works. But Jesus says, look, this is all for nothing. All for nothing. Because all it is is making you clean on the outside. As we actually have been going through the book of Luke, we see that Jesus is the only one who can make you clean on the inside. So when the man with leprosy came to Jesus, he said to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You see, only Jesus deals with the inside clean issue. The Pharisees, they can only make the outside clean, this obsession with washing, ceremonial ritual cleansing, religious uh, uh, cleanness. right? But it does nothing for the more fundamental problem of inside clean. So the first lesson we learn here is, you follow Jesus, then you cannot follow the Pharisees who only make the outside clean. What happens next is the experts of the law then answer Jesus. Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And so the teachers of the law, the experts of the law, they realize that they are also in the line of fire, right? Because where do these religious traditions, these rituals or practices of cleaning come from? They come from the experts in the law. But the experts in the law are the ones who counsel and guide the Pharisees. And Jesus says to the experts in the law, Woe to you, right? Because you load burdens or burden people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Now the word here, load people down with burdens, is the same word, you burden people down with burdens. And this word burden is actually a word which signifies heavy, heavy load, like ship cargo. You know those containers which are on the, you know, on the big trailers and the, on, the, on the road, on, on, the, on the container ship? So imagine, right, it's like you load this big container on my shoulder. You know, that's a huge weight, right? It's like it's unbearable weight. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. The teachers of the law are burdening people, this heavy, heavy container of weight with all these rules and rituals and traditions. The problem is that by doing so, they don't actually help people to know God. They don't help people to knowledge of the kingdom of God. But in fact, it's a hindrance and they're stopping people from actually entering into the kingdom of God. They, they take the key and they throw away 
the key. Jesus goes on to say, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you prove of what your forefathers did when they killed the prophets, you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will prosecute. Now this shows you that the teaching of the experts in the law, this is man's teaching, right? Not God's word. They are so tied to it. They are so wedded to it. They are so loyal to it that when God sends his word into the world, they oppose the prophets. They oppose the apostles who bring God's word because they hold on to their own man's word much, much more than God's word. Now, God... Sorry, Jesus says this really interesting thing, right? In the passage, he looks from the very, very past to the present, to the future. He gives the example of Abel, okay? Cain and Abel, you all know uh, Cain and Abel? So Cain and Abel, right at the very beginning in Genesis, right? Abel sacrificed rightly to God. His sacrifice was acceptable to God. So in a sense, Abel was like a prophet. He's revealing God's way. But Cain, Cain didn't like God's way, right? He didn't like Abel to reveal God's way to him. He had his own way, man's way, and he killed Cain. Oh, sorry, Cain killed Abel. Then, Zechariah was also this a very prominent and famous prophet. He was also murdered. But notice what happens here. Jesus then says, look, the prophets like Abel and Zechariah were murdered by the forefathers. But the teachers of the law, they share this same murderous spirit because they're going to persecute and also kill Jesus' apostles. And so, when the teachers of the law, they build the tombs for the prophets, they are not building the tombs out of you know, remembrance, but celebrating the murderous, killing spirit of their forefathers, which they themselves continue to practice when they will kill and persecute the apostles. And so therefore, because of that, because of the burden that they put on people, because of their love for man's teaching and their persecution of those who bring God's wisdom, woe to you, woe to you, right? You will go to hell as well. Now, this is really, really important for us today because I remember many years ago, a pastor said to me when I was a very young Christian that just because the name of the church has the name church, right? You know, like Bethany, Trinity, Presbyterian, church, right? Doesn't mean that it's really God's church, right? Just because the pastor uses the word amen and says hallelujah or Jesus in a very emotive way doesn't mean that they're really speaking the words of, of Jesus and God to you, right? At the end of the day, it is whether the church and the message is pointing people to Jesus or whether it's just man-made rules and burdens and the concerns of the outside. So I have a friend of mine, and he always like, makes these funny quotes with funny accents. And he said to me once, you know, Pastor, I don't care what you know. I just know that you care. 
You know, he thought it was very funny, right? But at the end of the day, that's not true, isn't it? It's not true that all you need to know is that the teacher or the pastor cares. You also need to care what they know. That what they are teaching you is not man-made rules, which are actually stopping you from going to the kingdom of God, but whether they are pointing you to Jesus Christ and the keys to the kingdom. So I remember many years ago, on one of my holidays or you know, uh, time off, annual leave, I went to visit this church. And I noticed that the people there were really tired. I thought, why is, this, why is everybody in this congregation so tired, right? Then I learned that in this church, they, they, know, they have this particular teaching. They believe that on the eve of every public holiday, the whole church comes together and they fast and they don't sleep the whole night. Can you imagine every public holiday, how many public holidays are there in Singapore and you have to stay up the whole night and not eat and just, and just, and just pray throughout the night? How tired you will be. But is this really what God commands? Or is this a man-made rule which just burdens people, right? So in the same way, for ourselves, right, we, when, we, when, we, when we follow Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, are these just man-made rules that we make up or are they Jesus' words? Are they part of following Jesus? Because when Jesus comes, he is the one who has the keys to the kingdom. He is the one who truly brings God's wisdom to us. And we need to keep checking ourselves that as we follow Jesus, we do not follow the teachers of the law who are only giving man-made burdens and have no key to God's kingdom. Now what happens after this is that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they double down. You know what? Uh, it's a gambling term, right? Double down. It's where you, 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 you raise your stakes, right? And, and so instead of listening to Jesus' warning, they double down. They become more resistant. They resist Jesus and are even twice as hostile to Jesus. And so Jesus then turns away from speaking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law and he now speaks to his disciples. He says to his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's a lot in this sentence to unpack, right? So first of all, what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is where the outside is different from the inside. Okay, that's what hypocrisy is. You're only interested in the outside, right? The outside is different from the inside. And that's what the Pharisees were like. They were interested on the outside, but the inside was different from the outside. Right? There was inconsistency. Your outside is not the same as the inside. The inside is not the same as the outside. Jesus then says, beware the yeast of the hypocrisy. Now, what is yeast? Okay, so this is a bowl of yeast, okay, for those of you who are not bakers. You put the yeast in the dough, a little bit of yeast, that's all you need. And then you, you knead the yeast through the dough, and it's the yeast that allows the, the dough to rise, and that's, you know, you get your nice bread. So yeast is a good thing for bakers, right? But Jesus is saying that actually, this yeast of the Pharisees, hypocrisy is a bad thing. The danger is that the attitude of hypocrisy outside, more important inside, can spread in a way to his disciples such that they 
have the same wrong attitude of just focusing on the outside, but the inside is, 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 is still rotten and, and inconsistent. Now, Jesus says that this is useless because there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in your inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. So it's a bit like, imagine you invite me to your HDB flat. We go to your HDB flat. We go to your bomb shelter. You close the door of your bomb shelter and you turn off the light and then you whisper something really quietly into my ear. But that is the most like secret, confidential, private setting that you can find, right? There's no windows in your bomb shelter, no other doors, the door is shut, it's dark, and you whisper in my ear. But God says, look, that's, that's, that doesn't make sense at the last day, right? Because everything will be revealed. The contrast here is that this darkness is a negative picture, right? Darkness is a place where you can hide your secret life. Darkness is a place where you hide your double life. And so in the book of Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter 29, in other Gospels, not in Luke, Jesus uses and quotes Isaiah 29 to condemn the Pharisees of the same things that we're looking at here. They worship me only with rules taught by men. And this is in verse 13 of Isaiah 29. In verse 15, which is just two verses later, it goes on to say, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us, who will know? And so, there's a parallel picture that Jesus is drawing upon, isn't it? You know, you, you go to the room, you shut the door, you turn out the lights, and you think, okay, I can be who I am, my double life. Now, this is important for us because what Jesus is saying is, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, our inside life must be consistent with our outside life. There must be no double life as a Christian. There is no inner sinful life which we think we can hide between the facade of the outside. Because on the last day, there is this huge opposite Thing happening, right? The, the, the very things that you whisper in the dark room, in the inner room, into the ear, will be shouted from the rooftops in bright daylight. So if that's going to be the case of what's going to happen, then what should we do? Well, I want us to go back to what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11, verse 40. We're going to look at the ESV translation because I think it brings out the more literal words. It says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms, offering those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. In the NASB translation, it says something which is very similar, but give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. So what Jesus is really saying is that the Pharisees inside thought they could hide this, this greed, wickedness, uh, injustice, and the lack of love for God. But, but the right attitude that we are to have as Christians is to give that which is within as a charity or offering or alms to God. 
the inside is to be given sacrificially to God. So, for yourself, do you live a double life? Is your outside different from your inside? In the way that you relate to people outside of church, you know, your friends from church, do you use different language? Or do you use uh, different actions? Or when you're online, in the dark of your room, in the privacy of your house, do you act differently than if you act at church? Right, in the way that you, you write things online or the, 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 the way that you, 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 you see things online, the actions that you take? Because that's not the way that, uh, that we are supposed to act as disciples of Christ. There is the hypocrisy that is now infected us as yeast, right? We think we can hide these things, but the last day all these things will be revealed. So we must be giving that which is within as a sacrifice or an offering or charity to God and not just try to give that front on the outside. Now, this passage now goes on to look at the implications, right? We really looked at theologically who to follow. Cannot follow the outside clean people, the Pharisees. Cannot follow those who burden people with man-made rules and hate God's word. Must only follow Christ. If you choose to follow only Christ, then definitely then there will be persecution, hostility, even death. So Jesus now addresses the issue, the historical issue and the experiential issue which will keep going on, of fear. Right, of fear. What will happen to our fear in following a rejected and opposed Christ? Now, we know that this will definitely happen because at the end of chapter 11, the Pharisees double down. Remember the word double down? They're doubling their hostility to Jesus. They are increasing by two their opposition to him. And here in chapter 12, Jesus tells his disciples, look, don't worry when you're brought before the synagogue's rulers and authorities. So the, the warning that Jesus already gives is that, look, this hostility, this doubling down, is not just going to attack you, attack me, but he will attack you too. So how do we deal with the fear that naturally comes which follows rejection and opposition? Jesus gives three, three very important lessons. First lesson is, have the right fear. Have the right fear. You displace the fear of people with the fear of God, right? You have a greater fear to kill off the old, lesser fear. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you to hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Emphatically. And so Jesus here is using the argument from lesser to greater. The one who can only kill the body, he can only kill you once or she can only kill you once. And after that, do nothing. The greater one you should fear is the one who can, after your body is dead, throw you to hell for eternity. You can see all the little people in the fire, right? Okay? This is the one who you should fear because the, the implication, right, is that you die not just once, but you die in a sense and suffer for eternity. So surely it's greater to, to fear this greater one, isn't it? You should fear this greater one rather than the Pharisee, the teacher of the law, your friends, your family members, your classmates who 
okay, they can persecute you, they probably won't kill you in Singapore. But the one that you should really fear is the one who can throw you into hell. So, how do you deal with worry of opposition, hostility? Fear God and not man. Jesus goes on to say, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Now, in the ancient world, apparently sparrows were like the cheapest things you could buy in the market probably to eat. So now the chicken is so expensive, you can't buy fresh chicken anymore. There are lots of fresh sparrows everywhere. Maybe we should go back to eating sparrows, right? But sparrows are very cheap, right? Okay, so if, if you know, God cares for the cheapest things you can find, the sparrows, I mean, let's buy in the market, these sparrows, then, then, then God cares for you, right? And again, your hairs, do you know how many hairs you have in your head? We all probably don't unless you have very little hair, right? Well, we don't really care about how many hairs we have in our head because it's not all that important, right? But to God, He knows how many hairs you have in your head. And so if God is willing to care for the sparrows and He knows the, the least important thing in your body and controls it, even the hairs on your head, which is numbered, then again, this lesser to greater argument, right? If He cares for the hair, cares for the sparrow, how much more will He care for you? child of God, part of the family of God. So, if this is the way God cares for us, then don't fear. God cares. God's in control. Even if you suffer, even if you experience hostility, God is in control. God cares. Lastly, Jesus says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Now this is uh, something similar to what we read in chapter 9, verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So what we're going to see in a moment is actually chapter 12 has this thread, right? We're going to see it next week and the week later of of Judgment Day, right? This theme that's sort of bubbling under the surface of Judgment Day, eschatology, last day. And Jesus says, look, look forward to that day because if you today, now, you disown me, then when I come on that last day, I will disown you. If you're ashamed of me now, I will be ashamed of you then. But today, if you acknowledge me, then when I come on that last Judgment Day, I will acknowledge you. So, if that's the case, then as we face persecution, hostility, and opposition today, we continue to, to acknowledge Christ now, even in the face of hostility, because Christ, we know, will acknowledge us on that last day. You see, like I said before, if you think about it, huh, this idea of the judgment day, the last day, it's something that seems to be bubbling under. No point being a hypocrite and just focusing on the outside because on that last day, all will be revealed and all will be exposed. On that last day, truly, we will see why we should fear God and not man because on that day, then God will cast us into hell. 
Don't fear, because God cares for us and controls all things. And that's fulfilled and ultimately seen when Jesus comes and saves us. And so therefore, acknowledge Christ now, or Christ will acknowledge you on that judgment day. So in conclusion, what have we learned today? Theologically, who to follow? We only follow Christ, right? We don't follow the outside, inside, outside clean, inside unclean teachings of Pharisees or the burden of law and the love of the man-made word rather than God's wisdom of the teachers of law. Neither do we follow hypocrisy. At the same time, as we experience the hostility of, of the world, we fear God and not man. And we don't fear because God cares and controls all things. We acknowledge Christ constantly and consistently because we know that Christ will acknowledge us on that last day when he comes again. Now, in conclusion, recently I was hearing about how there was a synod or a big leadership ACM for a major denomination in the Western world. And uh, the synod or this uh, major decision-making ACM that came together were basically asked to make a statement on two things, two very basic fundamental things. What does the church say about marriage? And that the Bible is the basis for which we make a decision about what the church says about marriage. Such a simple thing, right? What is marriage and what is the Bible? And you think that the church should be able to make a clear statement on what is marriage and what is the Bible. Very sadly, the church leaders, the very highest church leaders of this denomination, rejected these statements, rejected making these statements of what is marriage and what is the Bible. And someone said to me um, that uh, one of the things that maybe why they were unwilling to make a statement about what is, the what is marriage and what is the Bible was because of fear. Fear. Fear about the mood of society. Fear about the tide of society. Fear about the feelings of society as it turns against the biblical view of marriage and turns against the view that the Bible is the ultimate authority which guides all things in life. But the words of Jesus are very instructive because as you look to the day of judgment, as you look to the return of Jesus, well then, don't fear man, right? Don't fear the mood of society. Don't fear the tide of society. Even as it turns against us and you experience hostility and opposition, God still cares for us. God is still in control. And we know that as we keep acknowledging Jesus, He will acknowledge us on that last day when He comes with His angels. At the same time, who do we follow then? Well, it's dangerous and treacherous and hazardous to follow the wrong teacher. And if this, in this denomination, the leaders, the moderators, the bishops, the archbishops and the primates and the, mod, the, the pastors cannot hold on to God's teaching, then in a way it's hypocrisy, right? They are tainted with hypocrisy because on the outside, you call yourself a Christian. On the outside, you say you follow God, but actually on the inside, you are not following Christ at all. You don't follow God's word. So we choose to only follow Jesus. We don't follow the titles. We don't follow the names. We follow those who point us to Jesus and help us to follow Jesus. And that's what today's passage is warning us about. 
This is very, very serious. Who we follow and who we fear. So may we always follow Jesus and only fear God. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you to help us to be, to be learning from today's passage. To see that as we follow Jesus, there are those that we cannot follow. Those who only teach the outside, but inside is unclean. For those who teach only man-made rules which burden us. Help us to only follow those who point us to you and teach your word faithfully. Dear Father, help us as well to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Help us so that our inside is the same as our outside. There is this consistency where our outside reflects our inside, where indeed we give of what is inside of us as a sacrificial offering to you. Help us not to lead a double life or a secret life before you. Dear Father, as well, as we live in times where there is hostility and opposition against those who call themselves Christian, may we fear rightly. May we fear you rather than man and women. Because only you has the power to send us to hell. Dear Father, may we not fear because no matter what happens to us, we know that you care for us and you are in control. And that as we acknowledge Christ today, on the day that Christ returns, he will acknowledge us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll now have a time of reflection and discussions. So there'll be two questions uh, for the sermon. So one, why is it so dangerous to follow the wrong teachers and how we can we identify them? Number two, uh, what do I fear as a Christian? How has this passage encouraged me in my fear? So these two discussion questions, you can turn to your neighbours and then uh, take some time to discuss and uh, yeah, let them know your thoughts on the sermon. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.